Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. Next in the wings. This week's edition is a preview of Escapism and Dime Novels by Gerard Frixis Ribera. Kevin Reynolds spoke to the cast. My name is Antonio Gil Martinez. Hello, how are you? My name is Leticia Vaquero. I'm from Barcelona, from Spain. So I play the role of Isabel in the play Escapes and Dime Novels by the writer uh, Gerard Freixas Rivera. My name is José Miguel Jiménez. I play the part of Victor Rivera, who is also called Curtis Carrigan. My name is Marcos Isla. I play Santiago, who is a, a guard in the prison at the Spanish Franco's time. And he's a little bit of a grumpy old man who thinks that he knows it all. <laughs> and yeah, he's an interesting character. My name is Federico Julian Gonzalez, or Fede, as I'm known as well. And I play Mr. Troya, who's a publisher in Barcelona uh, in the late 1930s, early 40s. When I read the script, my first impression was that I was actually reading a little dime novel, mini dime novel, but set in Franco times. I thought it was very interesting, very hooking uh, and very sweet at the same time. It has a, a, a lovely story in it, very human and uh, very unexpected through this little world of, of dime novels, which were very, very immensely popular during Franco's dictatorship. Actually, my father's my father was a, a, a great fan of these novels. We have many of them at home. So I'm, I was quite familiar with, with this world. So I read it with a lot of interest. It hooked me to the end. Uh, and I thought, yeah, what a great story to tell through radio. It has lots of images. Uh, all the characters are interesting in their own way. And particularly, I think, the, the encounter of these two men, these two artists who live in, in a time where where they, they, their art had to be repressed and maybe they couldn't, you know, be... Uh, in in such a highest sphere uh, sphere as they would like to, but they do the best they can within what they they let them uh, be. So Isabel is a very strong woman. She's having a really difficult life because of uh, her husband's job. Um, she's going through a lot of things. She has a baby, so I think she's just worried about her family. Um, she just wants to to have. A, an easy life, maybe, you know? Victor Rivera is um, a character. He seems to be a revolutionary spirit of sorts. He's in prison when we, when we enter the, the story. And the interesting thing is that he is a writer. He writes with an alias, um, Curtis Carrigan. And, and that's how he's, he, he um, meets some, somehow uh, a mirror character who happens to be a guard. So there's something um, very interesting in that the two sides of the story, the crime side or the and the legal side or the free the freedom fighter side and the dictatorship side of the story, they seem to be a, an image that reflects on each other. Yeah, Santiago is uh, I suppose he's 50s, 60s, so he's a manly man with a bit of an ego and he thinks he knows it all. Uh, I think you can already picture <laughs> what type of man I'm talking about if you have been in Spain or something. 
So, yeah, he knows it all. Well, the, the character I play is Mr. Troya. He's a publisher. And um, the moment I read the script, I thought, this man thinks himself bigger than he actually is. In reality, he's the publisher of a small dime novel publishing company in Barcelona in the early 1940s, the late 1930s. He's a greedy man. Uh, so I thought, he's, he's that type of big producer guy with a big voice. And... Uh, nothing defeats him and every, he rallies everybody up and, and nothing is a problem and if there's a problem he gets nervous because the profits will go down so he's not a very scrupulous man uh, he's trying to continue to make profit from the work of a man who's in prison come on doesn't get lower than that so I'm trying to play it as a, a big loud man who thinks himself bigger than he is Carlos writes novels full of action and full of imagination uh, I think he probably saw a lot of uh, westerns and probably a lot of spaghetti westerns too and and so he tries to emulate that and put that into writing but i don't think he dominates so much the the written language and, and so his his novels are a bit more simple in the ideas and in in the action and through the, the interesting thing is that through this relationship with with victor with his other writer who's more much more su successful than him he becomes a better writer, I want to think. So Victor Rivera writes Pulp Fiction novels. They are short, they come out like every week, and they are always sort um, sort of passionate stories about like, you know, freedom and fight, and the, all the characters are always a sheriff and then, a, a, you know, a revolutionary, um, yeah, these kind of stories. Instead of maybe writing about imag imaginary stories, so he thinks that he has to leave the, the situations and then he put the situations in the papers. But uh, the problem about this situation or the problem about that kind of writing is that sometimes he's too much involved in problematic situations and that behavior is having a, a bad thing uh, to his family, you know. I'm from El Salvador, but I've been living in Ireland 25 years. I came to Ireland in 1998 after meeting an Irish girl in El Salvador. I'm from Spain, obviously. Uh, Valladolid is the city where I come from. You probably don't know about it. But it's a historical city. It's two hours north of Madrid. So it's in the middle between the north and the center. I came to Ireland in 2000 and I came with a friend and it was just six months of an adventure and getting the experience and then uh, yeah, I stayed here for much longer. Now I'm married to an Irish girl from Kildare and yeah, my life is here, so for the moment anyway. <laughs> I really wanted to come to Ireland many years ago, but just like a tourist, you know, just for visiting. But then suddenly I got a very strong feeling that I have to came here so I don't know yet why I'm here okay or after two years and a half almost <laughs> so I have to find the reason <laughs> but I just got the feeling and I just decided to follow this feeling no I'm I just leave everything in Spain my family everything even if we talk every day by phone and I just came here to Ireland without no knowing anyone and uh, I'm I, I just came for three months and I am more than two years now so and who I don't know how long I'm going to be here so who knows maybe after this job I can be forever who knows <laughs> we never know about these things you know <laughs> I am from Chile from Santiago de Chile yeah I left when I was 23 that was 20 years ago at this stage mm-hmm I'm Spanish. I come from Spain. I live in Spain. 
I've lived in London for a long time, in Paris for a long time. I've worked in many, many places in the world, doing a lot of theater, a lot of film and TV. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a mix, of course. I, I have a bit of French uh, in, my, in my upbringing as well. And I've got a bit of, of English, a bit of Irish. I've worked in, in, in Ireland several times. And I did, uh, I, I, I was working with, with Magnus. I did a, a, a beautiful show about Van Gogh, directed by Michael Murphy, produced by Magnus. We rehearsed in Galway and we traveled all over. Um, Ireland. I'm actually in the process of trying to produce a show um, by Martin McDonnell, um, The Lonesome West in Spain, which has never been incredibly, it's never been done in, in Spain. Uh, so I, am, I have, you know, beautiful friends here. So my influence is a, is a mix of all of it. In Chile, I went to uh, the University of Chile. I completed a degree in arts with a mention in theater acting. I, when I finished that, I I was an actor for a couple of years, and then I came here. I arrived here, and I went to Trinity College. I did the Bachelor in Acting Studies here, and I also was an actor for a while, for a couple of years, and then I ended up directing theater. I became a theater director. I funded my own theater company called The Company. I was involved in the drama group in the school, uh, Condesa y Lo Alfonso, in Valladolid, and then I was with the amateur group um, Lorca, in Valladolid as well, and we used to put plays. And then when I came to Ireland, I studied in the Gaiety School of Acting, uh, two years. When Franco died, I was nine years old. That was in 75. I wasn't aware up till then. He was just part of our uh, my landscape as a child, so I didn't notice. Only reflecting back, I, of course, have learned and I've become more aware of what it meant in, in terms of how we lived. So, for example, it was quite normal that the Guardia Civil would come to our house to check on us, and and the whole the whole universe was around the fact that there was peace, but at a price, and that we were, you know, there was an authority there that we had to respect. I do remember that. I had, I have that memory very very clearly, and of course, you know, for me was uh, the awakening of of the democracy and the feeling of this kind of starting to to breathe again that was something i really felt which i didn't really quite understand because there were tears in my family when he died um there was a sadness in one side and then a lot of joy in the school and, and in the streets and i couldn't quite process that and then bit by bit you know through throughout the years well i think i was very lucky to experience that transition and especially that birth of democracy and freedom in my teenage years, you know, so, which I thought was a very flourishing time for Spain. And everyone was so tired of, of uh, Franco and so tired of dictatorship everywhere that uh, the, the, the feeling was of, of joy and, and uh, celebration. I remember Franco and my grandparents, they explained me a lot of uh, real stories about this. So it was really, really bad really bad and there's kind of still some you know there are some people yet in Spain that they believe that it was better Spain with Franco and not now yeah it's incredible to believe but yeah but you know all the dictators uh, when there is a dictator is not good you know because and I don't know if you know Kevin but Franco used to have another people uh, in his team and the other people that's supposed to be in the government with him they were suddenly 
killed or they will suddenly die. So in a very strange situation. So he just arrived to the government, you know, in strange situations, you know, like not only as a dictator, that he just uh, delayed all the, all the people that it was not good for him. So he did everything in, with a very good strategy, you know. Well, in El Salvador, we had, uh, when my family had to leave El Salvador for many reasons, because of the violence, because of my family's involvement in the left-wing politics. But what we had in 1978 when we left, it was a military junta that appointed a president, let's, let's be honest. And that point, the president was only basically selected by the U.S. ambassador in El Salvador. So this, this totalitarian regimes lead to... Uh, Double speak when it comes to protest, and uh, and not so double speaks, and uh, and this, any totalitarian regime, being fascist, being communist, you, you learn to play the game of saying what you mean without necessarily making it that obvious. And in this play, the tension and the fear of the of, of the artists, uh, you feel it in the play when you're when when you're listening. In your case, how you you expose yourself as an artist in a way that is politically committed. Because you feel you have to. After the Gaiety School of Acting, with my friend Clyde Delaney, we set up Amigos uh, Theatre Company. We put three plays. Uh, one of them was Endgame, where I play Ham. We also put The Sue Story by Edwards Albi in a smoke theatre. Then, I, uh, well, Clyde uh, went to England, so that was the end of Amigos. Uh, or at least till, at least we took a break, we'll say, because we'll see. But uh, now I'm involved with the Dublin Shakespeare Society, where uh, I take part of uh, their productions. So when I completed the university in Chile, we started a theatre company back there with my friends called Teatro de Chile. Um, I work in two shows with them, and then I had this strange impulse to go, to leave. Um, I was 23 and I was like, I need to go and see Europe. That was my plan. And I always had this thing about Ireland. Don't ask me what, what, it, what it was. Um, I had a feeling about it. I, had, I knew nothing about it. I had no friends, no family. I didn't speak English back then or very, very badly. But I knew I had to come and, you know, my idea was to come to Europe and start with Ireland maybe for three months and then go back home and continue my life. That was 20 years ago. So I just kept staying for some reason, which I think it happens to a lot of people here. A lot of people just, you know, they're supposed to passing by and they end up living their lives here, yeah. So I went to the Colegio del Teatro, okay? I was there for a few years because yeah, kind of acting for, for theater and everything. It's like kind of really big uh, courses that you study everything, you know? You are preparing to be an actor, a real actor for everything, you know? And later on, I went to to Los Angeles also just for a, a small period because you know it's so expensive <laughs> and I was doing a workshop there for uh, two weeks yeah for two weeks in the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles was an amazing an amazing experience it was like a dream you know because I was also recording in the Universal Studios a short film so it was it was really amazing because I learned a lot about the industry well, I started training as an actor uh, more or less professionally when I was about 17, 18. Uh, I had the classical training uh, in, in theatre and acting in Seville, in the Conservatorio de Sevilla. And then um, I went to study in Paris, in uh, the Col Jacques Lecoq. 
And uh, from there, I started to work in France and and uh, carried on working in, in, in England at the National Theatre, mainly in theatre. And then I was shifting between Paris and London for many, many years. And then a few years ago, I went back to Spain and started to to work there in my own language, which was about time. And um, yes, I've been developing my career in many countries and I always uh, am looking for new new um how do you say what's the word uh, challenges and this is a, a, a i have done quite a few radio plays when i was in london with the bbc but this is lovely to to come back to to this beautiful universe of the radio drama i am a social care worker but uh, at the moment i've been doing a bit of acting well uh, my partner janet moore and i wrote a play called looking for america about about um, my experiences as a child uh, during the civil war in El Salvador, where we had to migrate with my family, forced migration, to Venezuela, Nicaragua, ended up in Cuba, 11 years there, come back to El Salvador, and then from El Salvador, my coming to Ireland. Being Spanish is an advantage and a disadvantage. So it's an advantage because I get roles like this, or some other roles that are type of cast as Spanish, and that's it. And there are not many Spanish uh, actors living in, in Ireland, I suppose. But... Uh, to be honest, it happens very little uh, that there is a Spanish character uh, somewhere mm, coming out that, that is needed. That's my view anyway over the years. Me and a group of friends established the company, theatre company, with Nairi uh, Jürgen Harsian, Brian Bennett and Rob McDermott and Tanya Wilson as well. And we produced a number of shows that tour internationally and nationally. And after that, I became, I started to use a lot of videos in our performances and our shows. And I, got, I became really interested in the camera, in using cameras. So then I had a couple of years of, um, I became a video designer for dance shows and theater shows. I worked with companies like Dead Center, with uh, choreographers like Liz Roach, Oni Stapleton. And then in the last, I'd say, four years, I have become much more involved in film. So I am making like short documentary pieces and I'm working as a director of photography uh, a lot of the time now. And I, I was just uh, filming a short in Cape Clear last week with uh, 1212 Theatre Company, which is also now making films with uh, Sony Riordan. Yeah. I don't know if you know in Barcelona, there is a stadium that is very famous. The name is Palau San Jordi. It's very famous because the most famous singers are there. You know, so I was there acting in a in an opera play, La Traviata. In this case, it was not as a singer; it was as an actress and dancing. But that was one of the the things that I really love it. It was absolutely amazing. And then I was in commercials for TV. You know, small roles in maybe in some films, also different theatre plays. So all the life I was just uh, studying and working at the same time because my parents always told me that it's okay to be an actress but you have also to study you know i just came back from uh, south america all of south america where we've been shooting a, a series called um, the, the, the queen of the south uh, la reina del sur really it's a uh, it's a united states production from nbc universal and it's it's going to play in netflix very soon and we've been to bolivia peru argentina mexico colombia and it's been a, a great adventure. And now I'm currently shooting another series in, in Spain for Spanish TV called 
scandal. <laughs> my parents are doctors. I was born in 1973. In 1976, my father, was, uh, my mother and my father had a clinic uh, outside of the San Salvador. Let's say, let's say Barbriga, no, scary as compared to Dublin, right? So there, there was a, there's an armed guerrilla movement about and they had a fight with the, with the Salvadoran um, army. A wounded guerrilla man was brought to my father's GP practice. My father looked after him. My father said, this man needs to go to a hospital, otherwise he's going to die. He brought him to a hospital on the other side of the country and did not report it to the police because this man was going to be tortured and killed. Somebody, well, pointed, well, my father was arrested. They found out it was him. And they put him in jail for two years, but no trial, nothing. So when he was released, we, were, we got death threats from right-wing death squads, so we had to leave El Salvador. Now, El Salvador at the time... The military junta who was choosing the president were using uh, pretty heavy-handed techniques to put it mildly against the protest. This even peaceful protest will be fired at by the police. And then our Archbishop of San Salvador at that time, uh, Archbishop Romero, was a conservative, mild-mannered man who genuinely was not aligned with any side, especially the, the, the left. But... With the escalation of the violence and the repression of Pacific, of, of, of a peaceful fire protest, he, he started speaking up against the government, telling basically the army, do not shoot your brother. Do not kill each other. Stop the shooting. Our local priest in the town where we lived with my parents, and this is something we mentioned in the, in the Looking for America in a play, uh, he was he was a liberation theology uh, theologist who's about the church being with the poor with the people, and he our house the back garden backed up to the back garden of the church, and our chickens flew from our garden to his, and he was a next chicken that flies over to our garden. I'm waiting for for it with a frying pan in my hand. The army took over the town. A few shots were fired. The the church bell started ringing, 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 and then it stopped. It was the army who was looking for the priest. The altar boy was ringing the bells and they shot him. And they went and looked for the priest. They found him, they shot him. Just because he was working with poor people organizing their communities. So that's the kind of regime we had to escape in 1978 when my father was released. We ended up in Venezuela because of my parents' ideas. They, they, they worked as doctors, they were kicked out of Venezuela. My father went back to El Salvador to fight on the guerrilla forces because the, the death squad assassinated my, my grandfather, who was a Palestinian shopkeeper who had nothing to do with 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 politics. In fact, as an immigrant, he had wanted nothing to do with politics. He was shot outside his shop for no reason, other than my uncle was a guerrilla commander at those days. So we bounced from country to country. We ended up in Cuba. Finally, 11 years where nobody was pointing guns at us. Uh, so after the, the, the peace accords were signed in El Salvador in 92, then we went back to El Salvador. And I never really settled. And funny enough, I've been speaking lately with Salvadorans who grew up in Cuba like me. None of us ever resettling El Salvador properly. The business, like the acting business, look, I don't comp I don't want to complain too much, you know. Um, I, uh, I couldn't get as many jobs as I would like to. And when I say jobs, I mean even free jobs <laughs> or like just getting uh, to act as much as I would like. And I feel like most of the times whenever I wanted something to happen, I have to make it myself happen. Uh, I think in general, as an artist, we have to find ways to diversify also our skills and, and the platforms in which we work because of uh, necessity, really, you know. Of course, there is, it's great because we all have the desire to tell stories, but I think it comes more from a necessity uh, point of view.
I try not to give priority to any of them because I love them all. Like today, I'm in love with radio, and I I wish I would do I was doing radio all the time. You know, I love my officio, my 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 job. I have a huge passion for it. Of course, I think theater keeps being the mother somehow, and the, where everything started, and therefore it has a special charm for all of us. But I consider myself a privileged person to live from my job, and every time I have a, a new project, I I savor it, and the more mature I'm becoming, and the more experienced I'm becoming, the more, you know, I savor every minute. I have the privilege to be in a studio or in a you know or on a uh, set or on stage. So yeah, I I I won't choose. <laughs> Let's say I love them all. My parents are both alive, very much so. <laughs> My mother, I was a, I was raised by a, a fighting feminist in the 1970s and 80s. My mother was a leader of of a guerrilla movement while being a good-looking woman who never fired a shot. Um, good looking because obviously it's, it's a very it was a very macho environment. A good looking woman should belong in the kitchen, and she wasn't. She was telling war hardened men to tell them what you they should be doing or saying, and um, so she's still very much herself. She's alive. My parents are separated. Uh, my father only just retired from the new police force. The, the 1992 after the war in El Salvador, the police force was disbanded. So my father joined the new police force as part of the FMLN allocation. It was like a power-sharing kind of thing in the new police force. And he was trained in Spain in, in, in the 1990s as a policeman after the war, came back, and he literally just been retired. He was the head of community relations for the last 15 years. And now he's in the 70s, but he didn't want to retire. And he loved it. He's, he's, um, but he's a doctor, but he hasn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go on consultation with him. He hasn't practiced in about 40 years. One of the effects that COVID has had in the theatre scene, especially, I think, is that we all have had to diversify our outputs, our um, skills, I suppose, in terms of storytelling platforms. Um, theatre was really, really punished by uh, COVID, I think, unfairly. While many sports events and other events were still open to the public, theatre was for unreasonably, I think, prohibited to work and that had a huge impact on the lives of many people so uh, what happens for instance is that many of the shows that were already um, funded and ready to to take place in a, in the theater em- environment had to become either films or sometimes radio plays as well I would love at some point and I know I'll do it at some point uh, we'll put on waiting for Godot and I'll be playing one of the, the marvelous characters that Beckett wrote but other than that, when I read a script, I'm quite open to, to work in any character. And I think the character, the, the actors, we have the responsibility at the end to make the character. As well as the writer writes the character, then the actor can give that little um, twitch or that little knot that makes a character different. I like absurdist drama, uh, absurdist theater. I don't know how you say it in English exactly. Yeah, I like uh, Samuel Beckett. I like Edward Albee. There is... Um, a lot of absurdism in the Spanish uh, cinema in in the 60s, like Buñuel, uh, Berlanga, even Dali was uh, absurdist, uh, surrealism. I think there is a little gap between surrealism and uh, absurdism. And yeah, I'm really 
into the, into that world for some reason. I am reading actually the 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 memories by Buñuel. I'm through reading him, although he died when I was very young. He mentions many, you know, many moments of Spanish culture and history, recent history, you know, and the and the war. And and he talks about Lorca and about the Lee, and he talks, you know, about life at that time during the 50s and during the 40s, and about his cinema. And of course, I have seen a lot of his films. And through reading him, I realized we are quite surrealist, you know, in a way, you know, uh, it's not a casual thing that, that Dali and Buñuel went straight into, into that when they went to Paris, you know, and, and that they completely uh, embraced that, uh, that movement. So, yeah, it's a, we are a bit of a crazy people, you know, full of contrast, I think, like with, with most countries. I think humor is key for and for everything really in terms of interpersonal relationships and cultural connections. I think it would have been impossible for me to stay in Ireland for the length of time I've been here, 20 years, if the humor had not been somewhat similar. We, in Chile we slag ourselves, that's the humor, that's the that's the base of the humor, you know, it's about like just lagging yourself and sort of like self-deprecating humor and I think the Irish humor or the Irish essence is so similar in that sense. So once I, I could connect with the humor, I think I was, I was, I was home. <laughs> but there is in one hand all this, well, the, the most well-known ab abroad maybe might be all this partying and all this sunshine and all this uh, fiesta, but there is also a deeper side of pain as well. And, you know, and we need also reconciliation. And I think, you know, you Irish people know about what it is to have been through a, a civil war and how hard it is to come to terms with that for, for people. Uh, the only difference maybe is that we are still a country. There are still two countries, I'd say, but we are enclosed in one country. I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> but in any case, I, I've always felt when I came to uh, 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 Ireland that there were many, many things that we share much more so, I'm afraid to say, than with British, uh, in terms of the land, uh, in terms of, of the Celtic culture that we share, and and the, the actual, you know, there is an agricultural society that's still very alive in Spain and in Ireland. My father was, you know, a peasant, and so I think a lot of people in Ireland uh, still relate to somebody in their family who were peasants, and I think that gives us uh, something very uh, down to earth to a lot of us, at least. Uh, we are quite new cultures and I mean, new occidental cultures. We we were we've been in the past just you know yesterday, and uh, and here we are. You know, we I think there's still this feeling that. We are still growing and that we are still becoming something. I don't know what, but we, we still have the feeling that we can become better. Hopefully we will. Imagine you as a parent fight for 11 years in a war to create a better country for your children and your children's children. And then it's not good enough for your children and they emigrate. It's, it's one of those selfish things one does with one in his 20s that have to be done. But when you become a parent, you realize, oh, my God. I did that to my parents. But it's your life. So that's how I ended up in Ireland.
And in that edition of In the Wings, you heard actors Antonio Gil Martinez, Jose Miguel Jimenez, Frederico Julian Gonzalez, Letitia Vaquero, and Marcus Isla. They were discussing escapism and dime novels by Gerard Frixis Ribera, which is next week's drama on one. In the Wings is produced by Kevin Reynolds. To listen back to In the Wings or over a hundred plays in the Drama on One archive, have a look at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Drama on One, Sundays at 8 pm. The pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Compassion is the basis of morality. Drama on One. The tongue, like a sharp knife, kills without drawing blood. Drama on One. I'm Stanley Townsend. I'm Angeline Ball. I'm Stephen Ray. Hi, I'm Lawrence Kinlan. Hi, I'm Saoirse Ronan. I'm Nick Dunning. Hi, I'm Brandon Gleeson, and you can hear me at rte.ie forward slash drama on one. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.